Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney, are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. And welcome to Habs Unfiltered, episode 284. I'm your host, Blaine Putvey. I'm joined now by my co-host, Matt Smith. Good afternoon. And our very special guest, the co-host of Locked On Canadians, and a contributing editor for Habs Eyes on the Prize, Laura Saba, a.k.a. The Active Stick. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I haven't written for Habs on the Prize in a little while. So just so everybody at Habs on the Prize knows, I'm not not there pulling my weight. I, I just, I have been dining on that blog for so long because I got a radio job out of it. I got the podcast out of it. So shout out to everybody at Habs Eyes on the Prize. Some of the best people in the Habs community. Well, I mean, second best next to us, of course. I said some of the best. I put you, I love you all equally, like I would my children. <laughs> <laughs> and like my mom said that's my mom says that but i know full well that my youngest brother's her favorite <laughs> hey you're looking at the favorite of my family right here so <laughs> it's like my question is if you don't know you're the favorite does that mean you are the favorite or is it the other way around Ooh, that's a that, that's a double-edged sword it could be either one <laughs> i just know that i'm the if, favorite so <laughs> I know that if your mom shows up to help you renovate your home, you're the favorite. I'm definitely then in that case. The favorite. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that kind of ties into what the Habs were talking about, right? Like everybody on the team knows that Cole Caulfield is the favorite of the coach. That's, that's right. Especially after all those giveaways. <laughs> <laughs> um all right, so for this episode, what we're going to do, we're going to talk a little bit about the last, the first three games of the season, and then we'll dive into individual players, and of course, lots of chirping. So, uh, you're the guest, why don't we dive in? So, in the first three games, the Canadians going one and two, the first game, of course, beating the Leafs, check, that's always a bonus. <laughs> What have you seen that goes through all three games that you've really enjoyed? I think that the Canadians are playing with a little bit more resilience and confidence than we've seen in the past, uh, especially in the first half of this year. It's, it's going to be very hard not to compare the beginning, the first half of this season to the first half of last season, especially how they came out right out of the gate. I feel like the way that they're playing, it shows a lot more self-assuredness on the ice. Um, there does seem to be a direction and a leadership that I really like. Unfortunately, I'm not in love with the power play, uh, mostly because it is non-existent at the moment. And I, th that's a question that has plagued the Canadians for a few years now. So I do think that that's going to be something they're, that they're going to have to change and work on soon. Otherwise, there's going to be, you know, a little bit more of, of a, a hot seat involved, whether it's for Alex Burroughs or whether, you know, they're going to have to be contending with these questions a lot from the fans and the media. That's something that I did not love. Obviously, the defense, I mean, it's hard because you knew going into the season that the offense was going to be better than last year. And the defense was going to be a giant question mark. And I know we're going to get a little bit further into the defense and the injuries and all of that in a second. But 
I thought that there, what I was seeing was flashes of things to be positive about. I really love the way that Arbor Jackai has played. He has played like a rookie. He has made some mistakes. There have been some costly moments on the ice, but I like how he's played overall. And I like how he's shown up to the NHL being more well-rounded than we're used to being a lot more of a player at, rather than an enforcer, which I know that he he's able to do both well. I do like that he's picking his spots carefully uh, and that and that's something that I think we should praise him for because he also has said that's one of his goals is to be a more well-rounded player. A little bit worried about Gooley after that last game, uh, just in terms of health, but in terms of ability and excitement, you know, he's going to be the person that I'm going to be talking about the most on our podcast this season. Uh, I'm very, very excited about this guy. Uh, I know we're going to get a little bit into the Slavkovsky issue a little bit later. So I personally feel that it's not too fair for me to judge him based on the first three games because he hasn't played enough for us to judge him in the first three games. But I did feel that the players are playing with a little bit more excitement and confidence. And that does kind of, in my mind, help them achieve their potential a lot easier when they're not wrestling with the coach or the instructions or the lack of a strategy. Like I am seeing strategy. I'm maybe not necessarily seeing execution, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. There, you can see the effort, but it's that uh, the finishing, that that polish on the play. Um, Matt, what about you? What have you seen through the first three games you liked? I don't know how I can how I can go after that. That was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I talk way too much. You guys are gonna have to cut me off at some point. <laughs> that was that was. Uh better than anything Treg has ever said on the show. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Sorry, Treg. Sorry, Treg. I love you, buddy. Um, You're not here, so I can say that. Um, For myself, it's... um, I'm not liking that lack of finish, as as you both alluded to, um, but I am liking the fact that they're winning face-offs and they're they're starting with possession. So right now, the team has a uh, a team percentage of 56.5%, and that's really being driven by... Uh, Monahan, who's at 67.4, Dvorak's at 57.1, and uh, Evans is at 59.4. Um, we know Doc is going to be playing a lot at the center, but not necessarily taking the faceoffs, and he's just going to kind of be molded into that position um, and, you know, work on it in practice and everything like that. He's only at 38.5% right now, but he's only taken, you know, 13 or 14 draws. Um, I, I am, I'm noticing that it's it's giving them that possession, but then they go up the ice or they start in their zone, and then it's either we're going to pass the puck too much and we're going to fumble the puck, or we're going to try to force a play too much when we're getting over the blue line or putting ourselves offside and then just losing that possession all altogether. Um, so it is only three games in. It, it is a very much a positive, but I'd like to see a little bit more chemistry on the lines. Because I'm seeing, I'm seeing right now that the top line's working, and we know that Caulfield works well with Suzuki, and we know that Anderson is that nice piece, and I think that he's had he's had some jump in his game so far. But I, I I'm liking what, what what I've seen at a Doc. I've liked what I've seen at a Monahan. Very surprised at Monahan. Everybody said he was too slow. He's broken hips. He's got this. He's got this. He's come in and he's been he's played very well so far throughout the three games. I just like to see that third piece on that line. If they can have a top six that those two lines can contribute and drive some plays and, and maybe have a little bit of execution, we're going to see a little bit more than a four goal outing against the Leafs. And then a one goal combined between the Detroit game and the caps. So there's, there's been some surprises, which I, which I very much enjoyed. And then there's been a few things that I kind of expected and, Unfortunately, I was right about it, and that's the lack of production from a few players, namely Hoffman and Dadnov. But I'm sure we'll pick into those throughout the season, right? You, I did say you're allowed to swear, but I cannot allow the H word on this show. <laughs> yeah, um, I'll try not to drop me, too many of those. <laughs> yeah. Um. So for me, I, I I'm kind of with both of you on this. Uh, with the st- uh, St. Louis approach, I think, has been the steadying force. Uh, Laura, I think you're you're bang on when you mention that they're playing a little bit more open. I think they're playing more confidently. Uh, but 
to the point where they're willing to make the mistakes and learn from them. And that's the freedom that St. Louis has allowed them. But going from four goals to one goal on the road, I think shows that the Canadians, while they're a little bit more open, they're unable to do matchups. And without those matchups, they're much less competitive. So they're going to have to find a St. Louis is going to have to find a way to get those, to get those, those lines working a little bit better against better opposition. And that's going to take some time. Um, it, but overall, uh, I felt that in those first three games, what we've seen is the makings of a second, an actual second line. Uh, Suzuki clearly top line, but with Doc, we're now seeing an actual second top six centerman in the lineup. And how long have Habs fans been begging for legitimate top six centers and more than one? It's been years. So while this season's going to hurt, if they can slowly pick away and fill those spots, I think I think it's something we can live with. Now, uh, the transitional game, that's been a lot, that's been talked about quite a bit through the first three games, especially by opposition coaches. But Laura, you've got some of the uh, the advanced stats in front of you. What have you seen that actually matches up to what you, you're seeing on numbers? To be honest, uh, I have been a little bit surprised to see where the numbers are at to be like when you're watching the game it in 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 the moments where it feels like they're playing a lot better I'm going back and I'm looking at the stats like I love natural stat tricks so that's where I'll look and I'll be like this is surprising or you'll or, or you'll be seeing you know and and this is not usually the way it works with me like the way that the, the way that I, I when I observe and I think that part of it is just because they haven't had time to gel. Like, I think that's part of it. You know, you have to have good player, good two-way players. You have to have good, well-rounded people, but you, and you can have a coach which ha- who has ideas or strategies or plays and things like that. But until you figure out who plays well with who within the limitations of the roster that you currently have, I'm noticing, like, you know, one thing that you said, Matt, earlier jumped out at me is that like, you know, some of the things that they're doing, it's a little bit too, it feels like a little bit too confident too excited like they're overly excited right and you kind of need to be a little bit more patient so you have that confidence you kind of have to balance it out with the patience you have to have um I I find that a lot of times particularly when you're trying really hard to prove yourself or you're trying really hard to improve like it happens in your daily life as well it's not just on the ice it's not just hockey players you'll do a little bit too much and then you'll end up getting burned And that's what I'm kind of seeing because something will look like, you know, a play completely fell apart, but then you look at the high danger chances and actually it was a really positive moment on the ice. It just looked, you know, like a mess a little bit. And I think having young players, having exciting players is part of it. But I do think that um, particularly right now with the lineup that's bound to change night in and night out with so many prospects in Laval that are ready to make the jump, so many injuries we're already seeing, I'm a little bit concerned, to be honest, and I'm not seeing a cohesive pattern at this point. Yeah, it's uh, it's a bit hit or miss. I think the sample size is kind of forcing that inconsistency. Once we get to see a few more games at home versus a few games on the road, we can see if there's an actual uh, a thread between all of them. And at, um, probably at the 10-game mark, 15-game mark, we'll start to really see that. What what really makes me hopeful, however, is seeing the team building. Not not Hughes bringing in guys, but it's it's the guys themselves banding together. Like we saw it at the end of the uh, Washington game, there's was a little pushing and shoving. Somebody took some liberties with Suzuki, and everybody came in to back up their captain. And that that shows me that these guys do give a shit that they are trying to help each other. And even though they'll lose on the scoreboard, they will not allow themselves to get pushed around. And that will help them moving forward. That's a huge, that's a huge culture change. It really is. Like it's, it's, it's very much a positive. And uh, the team right now has a young leadership group and they're missing some of these key pieces that, would be there with them to be able to calm them down, be able to 
um, talk them through a few things, mainly a guy like Joel Evanson, which we'll get into in a bit. But I've noticed, um, we talked a little bit about Jack Eye and what he's been bringing to the lineup. I'll give a shout out to Weidman for speaking to him on the bench after he took that hooking call that led to the uh, led to the uh, the penalty shot, which uh, Allen ultimately saved. But you saw him throughout that whole sequence, like his head was down, and 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 Weidman was like, just calm down. And 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 then when the save was made, he's like, okay, it's it's done, it's done and over with. Go and play your game. And 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 those are the little things that that I've seen so far. And, and I'm and I'm really hoping that these other two veteran players and Matheson and, and Edmondson are going to be coming back to the lineup soon because I I do feel that lack of um, of leadership as a whole throughout the team right now. But Gallagher getting fired up last night and being the player that he is, uh, sticking up for his sticking up for his captain, uh, shows that. Uh, there has been a bit of a culture change and I, and I'm, I'm all for it. Um, it's showing that Canadians aren't going to be a team just to be pushed around. And some people are going to still make the joke saying that they're going to, they're tanking for Bedard or they're doing this or they're doing this. But so far from what I've seen, if they were given the players in their lineup, that would be healthy. If, Armia was in, if Byron was in, I I could say anything about Carey Price. I wish he was in, but obviously we know that's not going to be the case. Um, so far with the players that they have on the ice, they've done what they can. Let's just call it, let's just say that. And, and, and they've been, they've been pleasantly surprising, but let's just hope that uh, they can stay healthy and that drive and that, kind of tenacity can kind of continue throughout the year throughout the, the the early part of the year and i know we're gonna get you know we're gonna get into a little bit more of the specifics but i just wanted to share one more op, sort of you know overall observation over the past three games is that the canadians are doing a lot better on offense in terms of the attempts that they're making they're creating space for themselves at all areas in the offensive zone whereas if you look at the opposite side if you look at the attempts that they're allowing it's not so great. They they clearly have some holes, right? It's clearly they're allowing the team to get too close to the goalies. That's one. You know, a lot of people were talking about Montembeau's save percentage. And I was like, I mean, you got to look at where the chances are coming from, right? So that's something that they need to be a little bit cleaner because they're allowing they're allowing a little less than they were last year overall. And again, we're comparing like an 82 game to a three game. Absolutely. So there's going to be a lot of, you know, but um, they're like they clearly need to clean up not just in front of the goalie, but they're allowing from the circle, and that's that's one where you're going to have to close it up because good teams allow far fewer chances from there, and you'll see far more of the chances are you know uh, far fewer opponents are able to get into those those meaty areas. They're more confined to the periphery. That's what I would want to see from the Canadians as the season goes on. I'd like to see the you know sort of the shot map and the heat map change a little bit because right now it's like glaring holes, but the positive side is on the offense, they're creating space for themselves, which I really love. They're they're able to make to provide high danger chances from a lot of areas in the offensive zone. So as long as they keep that up, as long as they keep that creativity up and that 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 um, energy up, I think, and obviously, uh, you know, you've got players that are going to get better. They're so young. They're so un- untested. You know, we're going to see some of these uh, players whose names we're not allowed to mention on the show be shipped out eventually over the course of uh, this season. And we're going to see more young, more of the young guys sort of uh, be used a lot more, if not brought up from Laval. So I'm feeling confident about what they're doing there. I'm feeling confident about the um, the strength that they're bringing on offense. I'm just a little bit more nervous about their uh, defensive coverage in general and those gaping holes. So just to add on to that uh, defensive coverage, obviously with with two of your top four defensemen out, what's going to become very, very important is going to be the forward coverage getting back and making sure that you get your man. And yeah, right now with a young team, especially a guy like Slavkovsky, like we've seen that he is, he's been on the, the positive side of that and on the negative, you know, he had the play against um, Austin Matthews where he took him down and we've seen him play the body a little bit. We've also seen him maybe be getting back a little bit too late or maybe being a little bit out of position. We can 
to a lot of players so far, but the, I think that's um, really important until this this team is healthy to be able to you know maybe take that heat that uh, the heat map and maybe uh, cool it down a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> I see what you did there. I yeah, see yeah. what you did there. <laughs> now, we'll we'll move on to the like you brought up the injuries. So Matheson's out, Edmondson's out, uh, Armia, Byron. You're right. The these guys being in the lineup would make a massive difference defensively, but I think that would take away some opportunities from younger guys that we've seen really good things from, such as uh, Jack Eye, as you mentioned, Laura but also Harris and uh, Kovacevic. He's been, he's been surprising. He's been surprising. I, really I, liked I, his game. I, I literally thought that they were going to be like, I had been waiting and waiting and waiting. Who's going to be this waiver claim? Who's going to be the guy they're going to pick up? <laughs> and then all of a sudden they make this claim. And I was like, Give me a second. I got to go look this guy up because I had no idea who it was. Right? I did the same thing. I texted my co-host and I was like, who is that? But <laughs> once I started looking up some tweets from especially a lot of the, the Winnipeg press saying they're really hoping this guy goes through waivers. They're really hoping this guy goes goes uh, down to the minors so he can do this and um, he could be a first call up, etc. I, I was like, well, maybe I'll give this guy a chance. And so far, so far, so good. Like he hasn't. He 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 still has a very raw game, but I'd be more comfortable with him being in the lineup than a few than a than a few of the four. Which let's just say that that I'm not going <laughs> to name. Um, that's that's all I'll say about that. I think I think the uh, the Montreal market lost out on this trade. I mean, picking a Kavasovic on the waivers was great, but losing Dan Robertson and John Liu to Winnipeg oh, that hurt. That hurt. Oh, yeah, that hurts. John. I'm upset. Every time every I see time, every, right, every, every time he says something about Winnipeg, it yeah, like, it's yeah. like a stake it, in my heart. I, I see <laughs> it. I see it come up, and I'm like, "Oh, John Liu," and then it's like a picture of Mark Scheifele, and I was like, "Wait a minute!" And then it just kind of clicks, and I'm like, yeah. it, "I still every haven't, time. I still haven't got over it yet." There's a candle lit for him. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, but uh, back to being a little bit more serious, or as serious as we are on this show. Um, the injuries do open up some opportunities, but at the same time, I'm not seeing a lot of, especially up front, I don't see anyone really taking the reins and trying to prove they still belong. You know, like Drew, for instance, he had that one game. He had a couple of moments, but I don't know. He just doesn't seem to be willing to really just attack the game the way he can. I wonder if it's something where maybe he knows something we don't, or maybe he's kind of seen the writing on the wall. Um, because I personally, you know, on our show, we've been very positive on Drew and we get a lot of criticism for it. And I, it's not that we don't think that he should be criticized. I think that there's many aspects of his game that he could do better. I just feel like sometimes it ends up being gratuitous. Like he's not the reason the Habs lose games, right? Sure. Like that's, you know, but you want to see more from him. And I think that that's very fair. It's very fair to say that we want to see more from him. And I wonder because it feels like at this point, somebody like Jonathan Drouin, somebody like Mike Hoffman, somebody like those guys are not going to be part of the future of this team. Even the ones we like having here, even the ones that Canadians have demonstra like demonst demonstrated that they love, like somebody like a Chris Weidman, you know that when this team is back to going to the playoffs and things like that, they won't be around. So some people will take that by the reins and kind of try to perform their best and try to get a trade to a favorable, favorable situation or work for their next contract. And some people don't. And what I expected from Jonathan Duran, to be honest, was for him to work really hard for that situation. And it doesn't seem like he is. And I wonder if it was, I don't know, is it a shock to him that he wasn't in the opening night lineup? Is he still not recovered from last year? Is it still something where the writing's on the wall and he hasn't really accepted it yet? Because I, I refuse to believe that he doesn't have the pride that the hockey players do, Right. I just feel like has he been told he's not part of the plan and now he doesn't see a role for himself and he's performing accordingly. I honestly don't know. Like I have a hard time believing also that Martin St. Louis isn't communicating well with him. So for me, I personally think that one game that he played, again, it's one game, it's back from, you know, like that weird injury riddle two years and all of that. I, I want to see more from him and I want to give him a few more games, but 
I, I personally felt, I, I honestly thought that Mike Hoffman was going to be the odd man out most nights and not Jonathan Drouin. It's kind of shaping up to be the other way around. Again, it's only three games. We don't know what the, what the plan is going forward. I just want to see a little bit more from him because I do think that when he is on his game, he's not a, like a complete game breaking forward. Like that's not, but he does have the ability to take control of the play while he's on the ice. And he hasn't been doing that of late. Yeah, there's a, there's essentially a cookie cutter of three players, Dadanov, Drouin, and Hoffman. And none of those three have impressed me whatsoever so far. Drouin on, uh, at least has the benefit of only having one game. So I, I can give him a little bit more leeway. And I agree, he's been, he has been the subject of far too much anger. He is not the source of the problem. He is just the, he is the embodiment of everyone's anger that they're directing at him. Being in Halifax, I've watched him play from when he was junior on up. And he's always had uh, a mental, well, in his early years, he had this unreal confidence in himself, this unbelievable, I'm greater than everybody. And now you're, he's 27, he's had problems, and you can see that the his mental approach is not the same and I think that's what's causing some of the problems for him he doesn't see himself as that game changer and without that that mental space he can't seem to really put it together well the fans are going to continue to look at Sergachev they're going to continue to look and see what was what was moved to get Drouin and Drouin has shown some flash and we're all behind him and we want this guy to succeed. But I, I agree with what Laura said. Going into a contract season, you would think that you'd have a little bit more jump. It obviously didn't work with Ducharme being behind the bench. And it didn't and it was like that for a lot of players. And we saw what San Luis has been able to do so far with Caulfield, with Suzuki, with uh Anderson, et cetera, and, and work with some of these players to give them a little bit more um you know, sense of belonging or a little bit more drive. But it's so far, small sample size, we haven't seen it in Drouin. And the problem right now with Drouin, Dadnov, Hoffman, you're plugging these guys in three separate lines for the most part. And that's dragging down every line, every other line. <laughs> it is. Right? It really is. And then, and then you're looking at, the second power play wave where you've got Drouin and Hoffman both on that. And it's just, it's the, the power plays are just, are just dying. Like the, the, it'll be, it'll be move the puck, move the puck, move the puck, move the puck. Ah, uh, should I shoot it? Ah, uh, no, I'll move it. And then when the shot actually happens, it's the wrong time or, it's the wrong shot or you know it just doesn't work and and you're you're three games into the year and it's uh it's been pretty bad and i and i do agree that maybe it is from a coaching standpoint but at the same time like the players have to kind of take it on themselves at some point as well and uh say you know like this isn't working this is what we need to do a little bit better when jake allen has almost as much puck possession time that's as most of the guys on the power play that's, that's an true. issue yeah it's it's a scary one yeah. and <laughs> but and on the power play uh they could use someone like Slavkovsky. i think he he should get a shot i mean i've been it can, on this it can't for, hurt it can't it hurt can't hurt and he, he needs more worse. ice time yeah oh. can't, it can't get worse yeah it can't get worse and i agree he does need more ice time he does and that's the perfect place to to kind of slot him in take hoffman out of there he's doing nothing uh, well, well, right now, in. well, right now he's he's the one running the power play. He's the one that's say quarterbacking the power play, and and it's just it's, it's just, working wonders. And it doesn't. <laughs> it's just right, and it's just not working. If if you have to, um, Weidman has to be used a little bit more based on the fact that they're missing some defensemen. However, Weidman does a pretty decent job at moving the puck. Um, especially on the power play. If he's not dead tired, double shift him on the power play. Put him out there with the second unit. Then you don't have to have somebody like Hoffman out there that's gonna drag it that's gonna drag it down. But I or do agree. Drouin. 
or or throw, or throw Drew in there. Yeah, because we know that he can make that pass, and maybe giving the opportunity to run a unit might be a little bit of a, a boost to his confidence. The points will come. It's just how how long is it going to take? Well, with Slavkovsky, giving him that extra time, I think would help towards having a better assessment of where he is in his game. I don't think any of us believe he's going to spend the entire season with the Canadians, but in, in the first 10-ish games, it would be nice to know where his game is actually at in different situations, you know, down a goal, up a goal on the power play, and then, then send him down and let him work on those things. Yeah. But last night about line combinations that I would make for Monday's game. And I slotted him on a line with doc and Monaghan so far, the guys that they've put on that line being dad, and Hoffman, they really haven't worked out. And I had a few people that messaged me and said, Oh, throw Gallagher on that line because he's, he's throwing the drive. And like, I'd be okay with that. Give the guy, give the guy the opportunity. He is showing that drive and, and, um, that, um, you know, Gallagher, uh, way of play that he always does. But I, I think that the best opportunity for Slavkowski, throw him up with a couple offensive players, see what he's got, make him make it make or not make him make his mistakes or let, let him make his mistakes, see how he um, turns around from it and see if he's playing with a couple players that have a little bit more finish, what he can do with it, and then give him that power play time, develop him as a whole, as a player. So when he does eventually, if he does, go down to the AHL where he's going to be playing all these situations. He's going to be even more ready for it in the, on the North American ice. And he'll just be that much more of a better player when he's down there and, and, and not look out of place as soon as he shows up. Well, I've seen some improvement in his game from game to game so far. Laura, have you seen, do you agree with that, that point of view? Yes, I do. I just, I feel like they need to give him some more time to sort of, create consistency himself because I and I understand right we all listened to the interviewer read it when uh, Kent Hughes was talking about we want to develop specific aspects of his game we want to take our time with him we know he's raw we want him to be a player of the future we don't necessarily need him to be ready now but I again question because you want this guy to be ready right like and he has that energy he's got so much energy it's incredible um, and he's got that desire to play. And I know we talked about, you know, on our podcast too, he's going to be sent to the AHL at some point so he can play top line minutes there. If you're expecting him to be a top six forward and a game-changing number one overall pick, you have to put him in those situations. But it often feels during the game that they're putting him in no situations, right? So I personally feel that, you know, I want him to be able, I want to be able, you know, we're talking about seeing game-to-game improvement in whatever aspects of his game. You need to give him a little bit more ice time than you are for us to be able to see that and for him to be able to learn that, right? Like, again, it's their job. I'm not necessarily questioning everything that they're doing. I'm just a little bit puzzled because I want to see a little bit more from him. And I, I, I think also they're trying to manage expectations, both his and ours. I also do think that, you know, he probably thinks he's ready to, you know, to be the number one uh, player for the Montreal Canadiens, to be the guy, to be the superstar. And I know they're trying to temper his expectations as well. But at the same time, I just feel like I want to see him. I want to see him build that consistency because one of the knocks against him, even before he got drafted, was he's able to do brilliant things for periods of time, whether it's the Olympics or, you know, uh, championships or anything like that. But then he, you know, he has off moments or he, you know, he'll be quiet for a while. So I want to see consistency. And how do you do that? You play that. You play a lot. He's very much been a in the spotlight player. You know, when the when all the lights are there and there's a there's a big prize at the end of the tunnel, he's been there. And I, I know it's still early in his career. We're only talking about three games in. And obviously the big prize at the end of the tunnel is going to be the Stanley Cup one day. But you know, maybe that's maybe that's part of it. Like maybe, maybe just I know he's still learning his game, he's still learning the North American game. He's still obviously to to go over to go from Europe and then all of a sudden you're jumping over to the NHL, which is obviously the best league in the world. There's gonna be some uh some some learning curves. But we've seen what he did and we've seen um how they've spoke about him and, and being that big moment big moment player. 
if he can even harness half of that energy that he brought, it's going to translate to success at the NHL level. And I do agree that he needs to play more. And I do agree that if they see him as this player of the future and they want this guy to be that top six forward or a top line forward, he needs to play more time. And maybe the AHL route is going to be the best way to, to get him there. Um, that's not a knock on him. I think that the kid's going to be fantastic, but it's going to be really interesting to see what happens, say in the, in the next six to seven games and in the decision that they do make. I mean, it could be worse. Having a reputation of stepping your game up when it matters is not really a bad thing. That's true. That's true. But but it's the Montreal media, as we all know. And they are, they are going to dissect every part of this kid's game. And they're going to say, look what you did at the Olympics. You're three games into the year. You don't even have a goal. What's the over-under right. on, uh, on what's-his-face there? Kelly just losing his mind about this. Oh, I know. <laughs> Um, there's going to be a thousand words on it coming soon. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the other thing too, is that, you know, you said, you mentioned that he's a very, he's very much a big moment player. The Montreal Canadians aren't going to be big moment, a big moment team for at least a year two, no. possibly three. I think in the third year, we can expect that they'll make the playoffs, but they're not going to have those big moments for the next couple of years. And those are the most crucial years of his development. So they're going to have to find a way to kind of develop him and teach him and motivate him. And maybe he is motivated. We don't know. We're not in his mind, right? He seems to be a highly motivated guy. I just think that right now everything is a we don't know. And they see something in him. So I want to see what they see in him. I just want to see the, the the drive this guy has, you know, when he puts up his first point, when he scores his first goal. What's that? What's what's going to happen from there? Um, we saw it with Caulfield his first year and obviously the playoff run and everything. And the guy was just unstoppable. Well, going into the next season under Ducharme and a full season under Ducharme, um, the goals weren't coming. The points weren't coming. And you saw a shell of that player. And then when St. Louis came in, it was like, and unstoppable again. I, I'm just hoping that, you know, he puts up that goal. I hope he, I hope he scores it on home ice. And it just, everyone goes crazy. And then that's just like, okay, there it is. That's the moment. That's the one I want to play for. This is the, this is the reason I'm here. This is the reason, you know, that I, that I play hockey, that I do this, that I do this. And I'm, I'm really hoping that uh, that just gives him that fire. And whether it's, whether it's keeps him in the NHL or it just gives him that extra motivation to say, I want to get back to that moment. I think it's going to be, um, very good first development. I really hope that uh, it happens soon, sooner than later. And that's why I, I, I stated, like, put the guy with some guys right now to succeed, put him with some offensive players, see what he's got. And if it doesn't happen, it's you got to take the next step in his development and maybe pull the leash back a little, little bit and send him back down to the AHL. At the very least, what we're seeing is Slavkowski is still dressed. He's still getting ice time as opposed to the person he's going to be consistently compared with. And that's Shane, Wright. I think Seattle is doing him a disservice. He's only played about six and a half minutes total. He's been a healthy scratch for a couple of games. Including the home opener, which I didn't like, which I didn't like. That's your top pick. And you've got him there with you. Why are you even bothering having him there? If you're only going to play him for six minutes, if you play him at all, at the very least with Slavkowski, we're seeing him put into certain situations. Yeah, he's sheltered, but at least he's playing. Right. So that's that's the positive I'm taking out of this. Um, so I don't know. That that takes us to other young players, uh, such as uh, William Trudeau. Trudeau signed his contract. I think he's going to probably stay with Laval for a little bit. Although... I'd like to see him in Charlottetown so he can dominate a little bit. Yeah. Or what, rather, what do you I'd see rather, in him? I'd rather, I'd rather see Charlottetown. Yeah. yeah. I think that's kind of the thing that um, we talked about it with Owen Beck, for example. You know, he could conceivably make the AHL or the NHL at this point, but you want to see him dominate first season. That's something that you want to see from Trudeau too. You want to give him the opportunity to do that. At the same time, I think that they think that giving him that challenge, like sort of elevating that challenge in front of him will bring out the best in him. Like I honestly, what what I saw from him in the preseason, I was very impressed. I know we were talking about him last season as well. He was kind of like an afterthought. 
but um that was that was not necessarily deserved right he was he was doing he was doing good things particularly as they as they headed towards the the memorial cup uh the playoffs and everything like i thought I thought that he was he was he was definitely neglected, particularly in the Habs community. Like it was only the diehards that kind of or the prospect experts that kind of talked about him. And so for me, I shamelessly didn't really watch very minutes, very many minutes of him last season. Uh, but I was so impressed with what he did. And I think that he's one of those people that is a steal. I really do, because I do think that he shows the aspects of his skills. Like I find that his, his skills are way more refined than the point where he was picked in the draft. Um, I just worry that he's going to drown a little bit in the AHL as opposed to dominating, right? So yeah. in, in the queue. So I, I don't know. And I also feel that the queue kind of, it are, it's, we, we talk a lot about it, right? It's not a very defensive league. It's a very highly offensive league, right? So the AHL is going to be more of a challenge. So maybe that's better for him in general. But I just, I want to see some confidence. I want to see some patience. And I, like, it just seems like to me right now, they're just signing everybody left and right. And they're going to run out of contracts really soon. <laughs> yeah. And last year with, uh, with Charlatan, he was placed on a second pairing. He was, he was, wasn't really given that top pair time. And he was, although he was paired with a, a really solid physical defenseman, Noah Llewellyn, he, he needs that time, I think. and. Yeah, Lucas, the AHL will help. Well, Lucas Cormier is gone now. That's right. right? So Lucas he Cormier would have to. Right? Lucas Cormier is with uh, with Golden Knights uh, organiz- uh, AHL organization right now. Yep. So he'll, and, he, and he would, would have, have that, that top minute. pair. Yeah. Yeah. He, he would be the all situations type player that we would want to see him play in. And, and and I do agree with Laura. Like, could the defensive part of the game be better for him playing at the AHL? But I, I am kind of leaning more a little bit towards you know go back to junior, dominate it and and just build on those aspects of your game and then come up, come back for another training camp and and show what you show the things that you that you displayed to get that contract and then you're jumping into the AHL with a little bit more uh a little bit more uh just say a little bit more fire under you to to be that all situations player that you were just that you just left in uh, Charlottetown Kind of like Joshua Roy did last yeah, year, absolutely. and that he's still doing now. He's got yes. seventeen points in seven games. Something Some like that. He's, he's on fire. He's on fire now. Another young forward, the other first overall pick, Philip Meshar, just got sent to Kitchener. Now, Matt, you tweeted something this morning about uh, what's going on with him. Yeah, so he's so apparently there's a uh, a double IHF transfer issue. Jeff Merrick uh, tweeted it out earlier, and he just said that. Uh, Still sorting out a double HF transfer issue and not expected to be in the Kitchener lineup until next Friday, which is the 21st against Sudbury. So a lot of people are asking, well, can he, can he, you know, can he stay in Laval until then, et cetera? That might be an option, but with all the transfers and everything going on and everything like that, I, I don't think it's going to end up happening. Um, Kitchener definitely needs a, a boost. They're 0-5 right now to start the year. Uh, right right their own five to start the year and you never know maybe a trade will be made or maybe he'll get there and uh kind of turn that team around a little bit but um it, it's probably the best place for him to go i i like to see him go there and dominate and, and get the top minutes as opposed to being you know a bottom six guy in laval uh we saw we saw a lot of flashes um throughout uh, training camp and the skill is definitely there he definitely wasn't a reach in the draft, which a lot of people are saying. A lot of people are saying that, well, they only picked him because he's Slavkovsky's buddy and they wanted him to be comfortable and all that kind of stuff. But I've seen a lot of uh, skill in his game so far, and hopefully that's going to transfer to the Kitchener, uh, the Kitchener Rangers because they need all the help they can get. And I'll just throw another thing in there as I was looking at the standings. And a team that usually you see at the top of the standings in the London Knights Four games in, they're o three and one, and Logan Mayo is eventually going to be back in the lineup there. So I'm, I'm uh, eagerly waiting to see what his presence in the lineup is going to bring, and maybe all of a sudden they're maybe they're going to get a couple wins under their belts as well. Do we know the return date for for Logan Mayo? As far as I know, he's still rehabbing. I know that he was he was subbing in and he was taking some uh, some line rushes when. 
other players were out with injuries or they weren't at practice. So there's something there. And if they send them to, they send him to London, like, I don't know if it's more of like a contractual thing, but if they're sending him down to London, he's got to get, he's got to be getting close. Well, he is practicing regularly with the team. So he's right. taking normal line rushes. He's not, he's wearing a regular contact Jersey. So it's more of a day-to-day thing right now. And I'm sure the hunters will get him in there as soon as it can. Cause they really need, they need help. help. Yeah. And we really no. need to see, I mean, we've been forming our opinions on the basis of 12 games for like a year yeah. and a half now. Right. Yeah. We need to see him play. We need to see what, and the Habs do obviously, but like as fans, right. Like that's the most common question that we get is what our opinion of him is. And we're like, well, he's played 12 games in the last two right. years. Like, and now the contract happens. Right. And then a lot of people are saying, why? And what did you see that earned him that contract? Well, he didn't play, right? So I think to him, to them, they probably saw the off-ice stuff that they were pleased with, right? Which, again, we're not part of that. We don't know that. And then there's all sorts of like, oh, the the victim's been in communication with the team and all of that. So we don't know that aspect. But they clearly decided that it's time. And for me, I just want to see him play because I'm so tired of getting the questions and not being able to answer them because I know that my opinion hasn't changed, right? He's got great hands. He's got great size. He's really good at skating. But his decision-making on the ice needs to be, as well as off the ice, but on the ice, needs it leaves a lot to be desired. And I want to see what the the Canadians saw in him when they picked him. Like, I want to see if he is that game-breaking defenseman. Like, people are saying he could be the number one defenseman of the Canadians. And I'm like... We need to pump our brakes. I want to see on ice play. I want to know what's there. Right. And hopefully he can stay healthy. Right. Exactly. But I don't know. That's a tough sell considering that he's with the Montreal Canadiens and everybody's freaking hurt. Right. All the time. Right. Like I I even, I tweeted out a, uh, you know, days since last injury tweet. And the (laughs) next day there was another injury. Like it was just, (laughs) just keeps coming. It's so much. And speaking of injuries, sadly, the, the biggest one, the, the one that's hurt fans the most, I think is the one for Carey Price. Um, all the talk about his knee and how that Tommy John style surgery is basically just so he can live a normal life outside of hockey. Uh, that's not promising. No. No. <laughs> No, like, he, like so, you know what, like the guy's a dad. He's he's got he's got yeah. what, three kids now. He's married. He's he wants to live that life. He wants to be with his family. He wants to be the dad. And I know we all see him as Carey Price, the the you know the backstop for the Canadians. That's just does phenomenal things for the team. But I think he's really looking at the family aspect of it at this point, and just it just being there for his family and doing and doing what he can. And uh, that's not a knock on him. And that's not a knock on like 100%. It's definitely not a knock on him. But I, I, I kind of think that he kind of sees the writing on the wall. And, and I'm really, I'm really happy that they were able to put on the performance that they did in the last game of the season. Cause that might've been the last hurrah for, for price. And if it is the end, like, you know, I thank him for everything that he did for the team. That's for sure. But the, uh, the ovation that they gave him the other night and, and you kind of saw it in his face. And and I, I will give him a shout out. He looked fantastic. Right? <laughs> I cannot pull off, I cannot pull off a, a cowboy hat to save my life. I'm not even going to try. But this guy, he he's a well dressed man. I'll give him that. <laughs> he should have wore he should have wore a white cowboy hat because he is a hero. <laughs> yeah. Now, that, but Laura, did you see that uh, that ceremony as a final goodbye? And if you did, was that enough? I personally thought that they did that for the fans um, because uh, you know it's kind of, it kind of came at the same time as, as an interview he did with the athletic and you know it, it very much like you said he's focusing on being a dad he's trying to live his life at surgery you know all of that he did say that if there was a chance that he could play he would come back I think I think it was for the fans and and for the team as well because I think when it comes time for him to finally you know when it's finally official that he can no longer play there will be something huge for him, yeah. right? Like a ceremony, a tribute, all of that. I do think like maybe even the Ring of Honor um, and, and things like that. So I just feel to me, 
that it was partly because last year there was such a disaster with the absence of leadership. They want him to be around the team. They want him to be considered part of the team. So that's partly for the team. And so the fans can just kind of still feel that connection. To me, I just think that the, the only thing that breaks my heart is that he never won a Stanley Cup, right? Like if he had won a Stanley Cup two seasons ago and then hung it up right there, I would have been like, I'm ready. I, yeah. I can say goodbye to you, you know? So the fact that that, that remains, because he's won everything else. There's not a thing he hasn't won except, you know, like whatever, scoring trophies. Right. But he's, he, you know, it just, it's it seems like to be such a glaring hole in his career. And I do hope that he manages to win it with an organization, maybe as part of the executive or something one day. Because I, I, I feel like Carey Price without a Stanley Cup, it's, it's just an incomplete picture. Um, and I think that it was... It, it was a chance for us to start accepting that he's not like, you know, he's still around. He's still part of the team, but it's a chance for us to kind of start accepting that the only place we're going to see him or the only clothes we're going to see him in is a suit from now on. Right. And, and, and for me, it's, this isn't the first time the organization has done this there when he was out the last time and there was, Oh yeah. He's only going to be out a couple weeks. Then it was a couple more weeks. Then it was a season. Yeah. But I, I remember when they did the player introductions, and it was just kind of like, you know, Shea Weber, and he came out, and then there was a pause, and then there was a pause, and then there was a pause, and then there was like, and Carey Price, and the place went absolutely insane, and I found that that was kind of like what they did this time, but it it didn't feel, didn't feel the same. This was more of a, an, more of an acceptance thing, as you said, Laura, that, that, that this guy is, isn't going to be the number one goalie moving forward, and, and it's that transition period to say who's the next guy. But it's I do. Uh, but, but, to... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say it's kind of odd to say, but the fans when they were they were giving him the ovation, it still seems subdued, and I think yeah. it's that somber feel that was under the undertone. Yeah, like if for me, like I, I've watched this guy play now. He's been in the NHL since he's been twenty. He's thirty. You know, he's thirty-four, going on thirty-five now, and. I've watched him through a lot of my, a lot of my, uh, a lot of my life. And, and, and it, and it is taken, it's taken its toll of trying to find out who's going to be the next one. And, you know, I've got a lot of Carey Price stuff in my house. I've got jerseys, I've got pictures, I've got this and that. Um, I said, I try to dress up with, dress up like him, but I can't pull off the hat. So, um, but 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 you look at it and 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 this one just it felt different and 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 uh, and I do agree Ring of Honor uh, he's won everything he's won everything except for the cop and scoring championships obviously but um, well I've seen him shoot he probably could but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, they were even retire his jersey to be honest he did so much in Montreal um, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I think the criteria for that has changed. It used to be you have to win like four Stanley Cups, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I think it's changed. And I do think that, you know, he has changed the game as well. You know, people are like, oh, what's he done to change the goaltending game? And I do feel that he has. Like, I think he's brought an athleticism to right. it that, you know, when he was when he was much younger, like I think he he sort of worked on that aspect. Like I remember when he first made the league, like there's a lot of talk about him being out of shape and all of that. And he changed the way that he played the game, that he changed the way that he trained in the off season. And at that time, it's not like there were no goalies that were athletic, but it would right. like the athleticism part of it was brought into it a little bit more. And he was what somebody that a lot of younger goaltenders emulated after that. Right. It wasn't just be a big goalie. Yeah. Right. Or be tall or whatever, yeah. or be, or be quick. Right. So he was all those things. He was tall, graceful, quick. And then the, like the athleticism that he brought to it. I right. keep stumbling over that word. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, okay. But Carey Price does not stumble over anything. So, you know, that, that oh. just goes to show. And he did, he did bring some changes. Uh, well, he popularized some of the changes to goaltending style. Like there was some adjustments to the butterfly style that he popularized. So that's another aspect that you can take into consideration myself personally i i don't believe he'll get the banner put up there with his number but i mean i don't think anyone would be upset by it no. I mean, honestly unless they have a little bit of envy like uh i don't know the toronto media did when the canadians were doing their opening ceremony they had some <laughs> torch envy there yeah it was awful. um it was some uh, awful tweets <laughs> i mean 
maybe they're just upset because Toronto's so subdued and their ceremony yeah. suck. Right. I, I've done a very good job so far not swearing on this show. Um, and maybe that's because Laura's here. But uh, <laughs> I well, watched talk- I, wa- I watched the opening ceremony for the uh, for the uh, for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And this isn't a knock on the rock, but he got more of an ovation just showing up and doing his let's go Leafs chat than anything that has had that happened in that fucking building for that whole game. <laughs> right. And they like, won that game. Didn't and they? they won that game. Like Justin Hall came out and like, I know Justin Hall's not a popular player, but like I, I, I literally, I literally thought I heard like, oh yeah, that'll be fourteen bucks for your popcorn. I'm pretty sure that's what I heard over the mic because nobody else was making any sound, and it's yeah. emba- and it's embarrassing. So when Toronto media comes out and says, oh well, Montreal, they you know they bring the torch out and everything like that, and oh uh, you know it's quite the show that they put on. It's well, you know what? It's for the fans. It's for the fans, and right. you know, it's for the it's, it's it's a historical thing on the team. If you look at if you look back on these other moments where you've got guys like you know Ari Richard and Ken Dryden and Jean Beliveau and all these guys passing the torch as part of these ceremonies, we as fans or or you look at the late the um earlier generations of fans watching these guys pass the torch to the young players when they watched these guys in their prime. And right. it's, and it, and it's, and it's for, it's for like all years of fans. It's for, it's for the multiple generations. And I think that the Canadians do it and they do it with class. It isn't like, it isn't just like, Oh, uh, this guy from Toronto, come on out. And it just, I don't know why I don't know why anyone's been complaining about this. Like there, there, there's there's nothing to complain about. Now I saw on Twitter the Laura, you and your co-host Scott put out a couple of really good tweets that kind of underlined you know respect. <laughs> I personally, I mean, to, to go back to that thing, to to that moment, being the captain of the Montreal Canadians is a big thing. It, it carries a lot of weight to it. I'm not saying there's no other organizations in the league where it's important, because I do think it is, including Toronto. Uh, but I think that when you are a Montreal Canadiens captain, there's a little bit of the community and the society aspect of it that uh, in some markets, it just either doesn't exist or it's not as prominent, right? There is a lot of weight. This is the youngest captain in history. This is literally, you know, the torch being passed to the next generation, which makes me feel so old. Um, like that moment you know what I mean like why would you rob Nick Suzuki his partner his parents all those people why would you rob them of that moment like this is going to be not an easy transition for him right he's obviously in my mind I always thought he was the best person for the job even though you could make a good case for other players on the team like Edmondson for example but I thought that he was going to be the captain of the future I thought if this team gets back to contending he's going to be the one to lead them there I didn't know if they were going to choose him as captain or name him captain this early. Um, But it's definitely something where it's not going to be an easy road for him. I think he's definitely mature enough to handle it. He's got that the the best attitude, right? He loves the city. He's getting to know the city. He's getting to know part of it. He's been practicing his French. Like there's so many parts of it where like, it just feels right. And that's a big moment for him. And I think that, you know, we're talking about this team rebuilding and the whole point of a rebuild is to get back to contending status and hopefully win a Stanley cup. Colorado just did the exact same thing. Like they did a rebuild, they started contending and now they've won the Stanley cup. He's going to be part of the fabric of that, right? That moment. If, if the Canadians become a Stanley cup winner again, he's going to be a big part of that. So why would you begrudge him of that moment where he's being named, right? Every, every single home opener for every team, all the players come out and get introduced one in a row, right? The torch part of it, it wasn't as much as we usually see too. Like we used yeah. to see the greats handing it, you know, and now right. I know it's a, it's a different, it's a different era after COVID and all of that. But just that particular, like why would, like this is how it starts. This is how it's going to start for him. And hopefully the book end of that is like the other end of that is, is a Stanley Cup or is right. multiple Stanley Cups, you know? Okay. Um, and 
in this uniform, obviously. So I just, I find that it, it's very curmudgeonly to kind of begrudge that, right? Because it, it, and it was fun. Like there's like, you know, the players coming out and there's like the pink lasers and all of that. <laughs> like, um, and, and, you know, people are always making fun of ceremonies and how the Habs do it. And I'm just like, die mad. For me, yeah. if I, I'm kind of over the whole Miami Vice look that they're going for, <laughs> I, I really am. I've been like with all the different pinks and colors and stuff like that. I'm kind of over that. But when it comes to the historical part of it with the torch and everything, I, I, I think that when when the Canadians do player ceremonies or when they do, um, you know, God forbid, you know, a player passes on or something like that, they are the marquee organization that looks after the player and they they honor that player or they honor this the whatever happened and so toronto is upset as they want it's it's not it's not going to change going forward the canadians are going to continue to be that organization they're going to continue to be that uh they're going to continue to look after their fans look after the players and uh try not to swear so i'll just uh i'll just pass it over to blade <laughs> well i i think i think the the uh the curmudgeons in the toronto media who were posting this garbage missed a golden opportunity to pump the tires of a toronto-born kid taking over the canadian's future instead of the torch envy oh i can't believe they're having a torch because they don't understand what a winning history is yeah, I said it. I said it. Instead of that, they could have been pumping Suzuki's tires saying, here's a kid from Toronto who's taking over. They could have they could have trolled in so many other ways. That's right. But they chose to be douchebags. Yeah. I mean, torch envy is a thing, and they've got it. <laughs> so I that that pretty much covers everything that we uh we had planned to talk about. We're we're hitting some time limits here now. So, Laura, I wanted to hand it to you. Is there any final thoughts? Anything you wanted to bring up? Uh, honestly, I'm just excited for this season. I know people are apprehensive of the number of, of, of games we're going to see in the L column, but uh, I'm trying to make the most of it, and I'm trying to enjoy the moments, right? Every, every single goal, every first point, every every time wherever Jack I, like slams a senator into the boards, <laughs> I'm going to be really happy about that. Um and, and 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 that's it right like we, we want to see day-to-day improvement or improvement over time so even if they are losing those games even if they will probably have a really high draft pick this season as well hopefully um if you see changes in young players games to the positive I think that that's what we can take away from the season it's going to be long so let's all strap in Matt final thoughts quick question for both you'll start with Laura um Sonny Milano just put on waivers Ooh. to go to go down to Hershey. It's one year deal, seven hundred and fifty k. Put up thirty four points last year with Anaheim, who did not have a very good team. Would would there be some intrigue there to possibly put in a claim to bring him in? I think you got at least think about it if you're the Montreal Canadiens. I think it's worth it. Like, it's a crowded roster for him, though. Yeah, it is, crowded, it is a crowded roster. It is a crowded roster. But he's he's the type of player you got to think about. All right, Blaine. Uh, if we can launch Hoffman into the sun so we can get him, then I'm all in. <laughs> okay. Uh, but like Laura said, it's a crowded roster. I, I don't know. I, I just don't know. I think they're at least going to take a look. Yeah. Yeah. Or I wouldn't be surprised if another team swoops in to pick him up. Because the Canadians, I think the Canadians are still at the top of the list, right? Yeah, they are. Till November 1st. Got so that pretty much does it. Uh, Laura, why don't you let our listeners know where they can find you, where they can listen to you, the whole thing. <laughs> so if you want to listen to our podcast, we're at Locked On Canadians on basically every podcast platform. We're also on YouTube, so you can subscribe and follow us there. Uh, my wonderful co-host has been carrying the show as of late. Uh, his name is Scott Matla. You can find his work at, at Habs Eyes on the Prize. Um, and you can find him on Twitter at Scott Matla. I'm on Twitter at The Active Stick. And our, our um, uh, Twitter handle for the show is LO underscore Canadians. Please join us. Please listen along. We do five days a week of Habs episodes. Uh, and uh, I 
want to point all our listeners towards you guys. I love the show. You guys do a great job. I, I, I really like the community that you're starting to build there, especially on YouTube, where you you don't take garbage. Oh, we don't. Uh, you will be first of all talked back to harshly, and then deleted. So <laughs> I will first make you regret posting anything to begin with, and then I'll delete you from our channel, and we never have to see you again. <laughs> Just be nice uh, to everybody. be nice to each place. other. Be yeah. nice to each other. The world so sucks enough. <laughs> so I, I just want to say to our listeners thank you for listening uh keep sending us those uh suggestions for guests because we sometimes we get them like laura we were lucky enough that uh you know we were able to get her so keep sending those requests keep sending those suggestions uh, if you're trolling us at least make it interesting and funny i mean i don't mind but if if you're going to be unoriginal I'm just going to mute you or block you because I got better things to do with my time. Uh, for our regular listeners, again, thank you very much for listening. And remember, if you're talking about it, so are we. Do you or someone you love obsess over the Habs and they aren't even a fan of the team? Is your social media filled with old jokes and pathetic attempts at trolling? Then you have HOD. Habs Obsessive Disorder. From the makers of Bergy Arms comes 3 to 1. 3 to 1 is specially formulated to cause a temporary choking sensation, which will remind you that your team hasn't won a playoff series since the invention of HD television. Side effects may include a desire to shave your head and grow a goatee, a lack of fashion sense, an uncontrollable urge to say, but Tavares was hurt, pretending every head coach this century doesn't call your team soft an uncontrollable urge to choke in the playoffs, and a realization that your ability to have an inferiority complex while simultaneously being obnoxious while never winning is why you're found undesirable. Ask your doctor if 3 to 1 is right for you. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.